Kia ora, I'm Alicia Wilson-Hetty from Te Taumata Tuia Ibi, Auckland's Regional Arts Trust. You're listening to Creative Capital, a podcast about advocacy and systems change. We're exploring the role that arts, creativity and culture play in Tamaki Makoto, with a focus on the people behind the work and their vision for the future. We hope these conversations are a simple way for us to come together as advocates and artists to navigate 2023 and beyond. Today we're speaking with the wonderful Janae Henry. Janae is a Billy T nominated comedian, actor and host of new show for people who don't watch the news. Two cents, too much. She enjoys creating content for people who don't often see themselves represented in the media. Morena. Morena. I'm Janae Henry. I'm from Ngāti Kahuki, Whangaroa. And that's it. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you for joining me in the studio this morning. Thank you for having me. So, firstly, congratulations on Two Cents Too Many. What was the catalyst for this project? Ooh, we actually pitched it, I think, three years ago. But you know how funding... Yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So we resubmitted it a bunch of times, but it was always just based around the fact that I often feel like I have too much to say, Um, (laughs) which is why it's, yeah, it's my two cents that's too much probably for some people, but the perfect amount for others. I really loved the name. It feels quite cheeky and playful, which you're cheeky and playful, which I love. So (laughs) yay. Um, how did how did you arrive at comedy? What was your journey into comedy? I I reckon Clown Baby by Nurture. Mm-hmm. My parents really enabled the show pony that I was. Actually, in the family Viber, we're still on Viber. It's a whole thing. We can't crack WhatsApp, and we're not gonna <laughs> we're not gonna try. We're My all family too. Viber, right? It's the only chat I have on Viber, which I guess is good because on WhatsApp, I think if I went on it to talk to my family I'd get distracted but Viber it's pure focus on the family because no one else is there um, but on the Viber my dad sent through like a photo of one of my journals and I used to do shows for my family when we went camping but I would make the minimum entry one dollar um, and no one had cash on them so I'd write down like an IOU list and then chase them up for money once we got home so my parents were like she's either going to be a performer or like an accountant or like a loan shark um (laughs) so I've always been a show pony and I've actually always endorsed that but then I went to university I thought I was going to be a lawyer um I ended up being an actor which is sort of the same thing I mean Um, it is girl it really is (laughs) yeah I think less well paid allegedly than a lawyer but potentially my work-life balance is better um and I sleep better at night, I think. But I did improv for a bit. And then yeah. someone said, you should do stand-up. So I signed up for the Royal Comedy Quest, not really knowing anything about it, not knowing it was a competition or anything. So my first gig was actually a competition, which I didn't know. And at the end of it, I found out I got through to the next round, which was very confusing. <laughs> um, and then I got through to the Wellington finals. And then I, that's where I like stopped, because the next round's the Auckland finals. So yeah, got, yeah. I sort of honestly fell into it by accidentally doing a competition as my first kick. I kind of love that though. Accidental. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Per- yeah, that's very cool. So comedy is such an effective tool for social commentary. Mm-hmm. 
what response have you had to your comedy? Because I feel like you do that really well. Yeah. I mean, the people who get it, get it. And yeah. it's for a specific audience, right? Like, I think if you make comedy for the majority or you're trying to please, quote unquote, middle New Zealand, um, then you're probably ignoring minorities. So yeah. I'm really bold in that, like, my comedy is not for everyone and it shouldn't be. And if you're like a, a, a cis straight white man in in this country and you enjoy my comedy, like that's awesome, but it's not for you. So I don't care if you don't. Yeah. Um, and so the responses have ranged from like really lovely messages, including people out and about like meeting my parents and being really Cute. lovely to them. Yeah, I think my parents actually once invited this <clears throat> lady over to their house and I was like oh don't do that but she was lovely <laughs> um <laughs> to like the people who don't like it uh can be quite a death 3d community so it yeah. really varies like on both sides yeah we, I feel like we are a bit extreme in this country it's either one one way or the other right eh? it swings the pendulum swings like left or right yeah 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 <laughs> do be swinging pretty big so you curated an all Wahine comedy lineup, Shoes mm-hmm. Off at the Door, that had a season at the basement during the Fringe Festival last year. How was it experienced? Because I was an audience member and I was living. <laughs> it was, I reckon, the best thing I've maybe ever done. Yeah. It was my favourite show that I've ever done of stand-up comedy. It just worked so well I was so smug that we sold out because (laughs) as you should be well yeah because so many other people producers had told us that this concept wouldn't sell and it just proved that there is an overwhelming audience who want to hear what wahine maori have to say and what I loved as well is often for example like Courtney Dawson and I won't be put on the same gigs because they're like, well, we've got one Māori, we don't need two. Mm-hmm. But we're, we have such different styles of comedy. It's not yeah. like we're stepping on each other's toes. Um, and so it was awesome to have five Māori women and all of us have really different voices and perspectives and showcase that. We're not all talking about the, the same stuff. I think that's often the problem though, isn't it? Is that they, we do tend to... Well, the mainstream tends to think we're a monolith. And so (laughs) like, oh, yeah, but we've got the one token. So that should be enough, right? Like (laughs) they can speak for them and their entire community. So I think that's what I really loved about coming and experiencing that is Mm -hmm. that I know as as a fellow brown woman that... Actually, we a we are hilarious, yeah. and when we're together, we are even more hilarious. But yeah. we're all so different, and so I also love that you had you know an elder. There was an auntie, auntie in the lineup, yeah. and she was hilarious. How was that having that kind of intergenerational space with each other and having those different kind of perspectives in the space? Auntie Leanne was amazing. She's such an icon. She started comedy when she was 60. I love. And she just, she's better than me because she has so much more to talk about. Yeah. She's lived more life. She also is so 
good. I think all the rest of us all are like, this comedy gig is so important. And Auntie Leanne's like, ah, it's a bit of fun. You know, worse things happen, better things happen. Let's just have a nice time. She was such an icon. She bought her toasted sandwich machine up for the hotel and she'd like pre-grated cheese into a Ziploc bag. And I was like, Auntie, you could have just used my toasty maker. She rang the hotel before she got here to make sure that they had a table big enough for her puzzle. Like, if you're hiring Auntie Leanne, you better get that writer. You better get that writer because it's <laughs> toasties and it's puzzles. She was, yeah, she's amazing. And I'm so glad that she could do it. It's also just really cool to see that there is a pathway because sometimes it feels like as you get older, you're trying to find where your place is in the arts. Absolutely. And I think even the the content of her comedy which I loved because I think often what happens when women are entering that phase of their life or or not even just women but people more generally mm. we start to forget that they're still sexual beings yeah. and so that <laughs> had me in fits I was I was loving everything she was saying because I'm like well this is relevant like just because you're old doesn't mean you're not having fun oh she was having the most fun out of all of us <laughs> we were looking at each other like <laughs> 60s is where it's at like we gotta get there you, this is what we have to look forward to yeah. oh god that's funny yeah she's amazing yeah because the night i attended it, the audience was predominantly brown which i always love i love when i go to anything brown yeah and the audience is brown because it's that thing of what you were saying just earlier is that often people will ask you oh but is there an audience and how are you going to sell this and all of that stuff without mm. going our people come because they want to support us yeah. so how did that make you feel seeing an, an entire audience of brown faces looking back at you do you know what? and this is shady but it's the truth the only night that was predominantly parkia was cheaper wednesday <laughs> that was a it was the night that sold out like almost quickest and that was uh, <laughs> it was like um yeah, it, the Wednesday night was the only show that felt a little bit different because yeah. the, the crowd wasn't like who we thought would come out for it. Yeah. Um, people who could afford it full price but didn't want to take the gamble <laughs> was sort of the energy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, cheap and ticket, cheap and laughs on Wednesday night. <laughs> but the other nights absolutely popped off. It felt so good doing comedy and not having to over explain yeah. everything. We yeah. could be funnier faster because if I'm telling a story, I don't have to be like, oh, wait, does everyone here know what a tonguey is? Like you can just kind of get going. Yeah. Less explaining. Um, and and I think weirdly less um, policed. I think sometimes, sometimes at gigs, people who mean well, which are like, honestly – probably like a, a a liberal sort of Greens voting park, yeah, they mean well, but don't understand the politics of like going up to a Māori person after a gig and like policing a word they used or, or really yeah. digging into them talking about their lived experiences. Like that's a whole another kettle of fish as well. And because we had such a cool audience, there was just none of that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of that invisible emotional labour that people are still like wrapping their head around like don't ask that please it's like just enjoy the thing go home your mate google can tell you yeah like yeah there's a time and a place for those conversations and i think just being respectful of the 
the the artist because you know this is often I've been thinking about this too. I don't think we necessarily consider our comedians as artists, but they are. Yeah. So just giving our artists time and space to like just appreciate the art and then go home. And if there was something <laughs> that kind of rattled you. Google can tell you, mate, or ask your friends. Stop asking us. I love that. Feel so free to just go home after the show. <laughs> Feel absolutely welcome to just make yourself leave. a cup of tea, <laughs> curl up on the couch, have a look on Google. Yeah. No, we were so lucky. We had the truly the loveliest audience members, and we still see some of them out and about. Like they'll still say hey, which is so nice. Do you have any? Where where do you see this? particular lineup of wahine do you plan on touring that at all do you think is yeah. that in the horizon yeah we've been whispering about it sort of for quite a while now it's mainly like everyone's booked and busy which is yeah, awesome i love that yeah but we do want to do it i think the next step is we had a lot of really cool wahine maori come up to us afterwards and be like i want to start comedy which is i love that yeah the dream but I didn't actually know where to send them yeah. because I was like, I don't know if it feels fair to just throw you to the comedy wolves and get yeah. you to sort it out because a lot of us are in that room in, in spite of our industry and not because of oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So I think it, it it's not just planning a tour. It's also working out like some kind of uh, – I don't know, like school. I get it, girl. I mean, I, f- I feel quite similar in my own arts practice mm-hmm. and like reflecting on there aren't pathways really for us. So mm-hmm. we have to kind of voyage and create these pathways for ourselves and our peers and our community. And a lot of the time that just there, there's not that. How do you even guide that? You're kind of just making or building the plane as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's where we need to see a big shift too in terms of the industry, whatever yeah. the industry is. <laughs> but you do go, well, you're saying you want more of us here mm. and you want to see, you know, more diversity and inclusion and whatever that might look like. But what are the pathways? Because currently it's really hard, I think, to get a foot in the door, no matter mm. which part of the kind of creative ecosystem you're in. It's like, how do I actually do this? So often it is like, you know, other people who have come before you being in these spaces and going, I'm going to leave the door open. I'll try my best to give you as much of the knowledge as as I have. But there are no clear pathways, which I think sometimes can be a bit of a gift and a curse. Yeah. Yeah. It is both of those things. I also feel like once once you're in, through the door, it does get a bit easier yeah. But that initial getting through it is so wildly harrowing. Yeah. So I think I think before we go on tour, which is something we are all interested in, especially because Sade and Auntie Leanne are sort of more in the Pornicky region anyway. Yeah. So we take it down for their fans and friends. Um, yeah, I think we want to work out a, a little place or like even a little workshoppy moment that we can get funded so people don't have to pay for it. Where, yeah, I don't know. I mean, comedy's subjective and how you do it's different, but at least where we can get in a room and sort of just encourage people is the vibe. 
Yeah, totally. So any funders out there, Māori <laughs> development for wahine Māori mm. comedians, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you so much, <laughs> Janae Henry. Yes, that's where Feel we're Feel free going. to stay after the show, actually. <laughs> you can stay. <laughs> so activism and advocacy runs through your practice as a comedian. How has that informed the work that you make and what you choose to contribute to? <laughs> I think, honestly, sometimes it means I'm not as funny as I'm trying to be because <laughs> um, some days some days I can see the funny side yeah. and some days I am doing an accidental TED talk on stage but I welcome yeah. that mm-hmm. <laughs> I welcome that um, it means that very early on I've said no to a lot of things that yeah. people told me I shouldn't say no to and just trusting my gut on that I think because I've always consistently been very loud and outspoken about what I believe in and and wanting I don't know to be paid enough or all that stuff it means I did get a reputation as someone who will demand what's fair which actually weeded out a lot of people that I don't want to work with anyway yeah yeah people talk to me about it like it was shutting down opportunities but it actually didn't it just signalled to the right people that I am available to work and I do want to work, but I want to be paid fairly and respected, which is a reputation that I'm so cool with having. Absolutely. I think that's something I've been reflecting on a lot recently is I think externally to the creative spectrum that we all navigate through, (laughs) there's a whole bunch of stuff that the world needs to change, right? But I also think internally within the creative sector, Mm. we need a huge cultural shift because there's a whole bunch of stuff, like all of those systems and all of the isms, right? Mm -hmm. They're still there for the people who are in these spaces. There's still those barriers of like, I am having to navigate this within a sector that I would assume, and this this is where I have fucked up many times because you should never assume anything. that those things wouldn't be there, but they very much are. And Mm. so having to like also have these considerations around this out here, external to me, needs to shift. But internally within our creative ocean, Mm. we also need to do better and there needs to be more of a shift happening there. And it just, um, I don't know, I'm totally projecting right now. But I think... I, I'm really keen to see when that work starts to happen in a more robust way because mm. you actually asking to be paid properly shouldn't be an issue. No. That should just be like, yeah, she's right, we should pay her properly. But it feels like there's still a lot of those power dynamics that exist within our industries where you go, uh, what? Like, not no, stop expecting people to, like, do stuff for free. Like, honour their time and contribution and the energy that they've taken to birth this idea or come and be present. Mm. It still feels quite exploitative. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan of asking everyone around me what we're all getting paid. Me show. Yeah. Me show. Because sometimes <laughs> it's wildly different. It is wildly different, and I don't think... I don't think they like us talking to each other like that. No. Because then you're like, no, can you can you actually uh, keep going? Yeah, keep adding a few more cents into that. Yeah. Like, I do value my contribution. I think it is a real value thing, isn't it, though? Yeah. Yeah. I have 
an agent now and they do lots of the money stuff for me which oh, is good. so relieving yeah but before that i didn't really know what i was doing i just went off guard sometimes i'd get offered a fee and i would ask for literally a hundred percent more i would double the fee yeah and then they would pay it easily and i'd be like huh so that's always my thing ask for more money because they can say no but often they don't there is more money yeah ask for it have you found by navigating through the the spaces that you're in with that kind of intention at the forefront, mm. your fellow like wahine Māori comedians and other women in the industry, are they like going, oh, so you can, oh, we can do that? We can ask oh, that? Yeah, yeah. Because I, I bully my girlies into it. I'll be like, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> See, because... Um, Courtney is, if she does work that she thinks isn't to the best of her ability, she's like, I shouldn't send the invoice. She won't mind that I'm exposing her because we talk about it all the time. (laughs) And I'll be like, you're sending the invoice because you did the work. And your worst day is what some people dream of as their best day. So you're sending it. You know, I've been really feeling that recently too. It's like, I think, and we don't like mediocre, but just saying, I feel like sometimes even our mediocre is better than someone's like a thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. Sorry if I'm exposing all the mediocre girlies out there, but <laughs> I think about that often. That I'm like, I even me doing not my hundred percent is probably better than some of the people we share space with. Yeah. Who you go? Come on now, like come step it up, girl. Step it up. Like yeah. what are you doing? Yeah, I think you have to tell people as well. Like you can ask for more money or whatever. But yeah, I'm very open about um, about who I work for or how much I get or, or all of that stuff with my friends. And I think that does... I don't know if it necessarily immediately gets them emailing their employers, but I think it does plant seeds and they start to realise that there's... I don't know. I guess in an industry, it's, it's weird because it comes back to money, but it's like the the one way that you're employer of specifically stand-up comedy can show that they value you value you it's sort of his money yeah so that is what it comes down to a lot yeah truly 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 yeah um you've facilitated corridor about changing the subject slightly now because you are just a jack of all trades you really (laughs) bloody are you've facilitated corridor about sexual health education throughout the country yeah with Rangatahi through performance, which I love. <laughs> what has been your biggest learning from that experience? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much. I mean, first and foremost, I f- feel cautiously optimistic about the future. Yeah. Because our Rangatahi are so smart and yeah. they know so much more than I did when I was their age. They, yeah, really lovely times. What's my biggest takeaway from teaching? Sex education through theatre. <laughs> Wee. I'm trying to think of something that I've. Do you, I don't know if this is the answer you want, but this year um, I learned about throat chlamydia because my character had it. Wow. Yeah, which was. Yeah, that is a thing. <laughs> totally a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was really cool getting to answer heaps of questions about that. Um, and then seeing someone in Pack and Save just as Janae and then being like, how's the throat chlamydia? <laughs> and then be like, that was a character. I was playing someone. Um, my biggest learning, I think that we do need to be talking to our young people and just yeah. seeing what they're up to. 
I really love getting out and doing theatre and education shows with high schoolers and teens. They're some of my favourite audience and they're so smart and it gives you a good idea of how we're doing, I think. Yeah. As a nation because you get to see the inequities firsthand but also you get to see what they know and what they don't know. So at the moment, a lot of teens know a lot about um, red flags. I'm talking in big blanket generalizations yeah. but what i saw there's a lot about red flags and and what a partner shouldn't do but then if you flip it and you ask what's a green flag there's less there so a yeah. lot of the education has been informed in, in that way of of what's bad versus what's good yeah yeah so that's potentially a thing and also masculinity and this whole andrew tate thing is popping up everywhere yeah I've so my big boy is 13 yeah and we've been having these conversations and it is it's it's refreshing to know that I think the babies are gonna be cool like they're really cool and so much more informed than us that I was like I had no like I didn't know about any of this stuff consent wasn't really a strong messaging when I was a teenager yeah just quite some time ago but anyway and <laughs> so it is so, it's beautiful to see these conversations being had with our young people and that they're really clued up and that they know yeah. and they're having these conversations actively with each other and with their peers and how using art and creativity as a vehicle for kind of having those conversations which mm. makes it I think a lot less gentle and less kind of veiled in shame because I think as a country we don't do very well with having these conversations. They really, I think it is a bit of a colonial hangover of like shame when it comes to having these conversations. And I'm like, everyone's doing it. Why are we not? Why are we not better at having these caught all with each other? Yeah. And so looking to our rangatahi, I'm like, man, you guys are cool. You guys are gonna be fine, I think. They're really cool. And when I was at school there was always like the one gay kid, you know, you'd be like, that's the gay kid of the school. Whereas now there's way more queer students. Yeah. I reckon, like as yeah. a whole. Or, I mean, they're, they're out earlier is more the thing. I mean, there's probably the same amount, but they're happy to speak about their identities earlier, which feels really positive. I think so. And I, I think that's also why you know, and not in a performative way that I think we often see in our sector specifically, Mm. that this is why representation is so, so important because it does shift that kind of social consciousness around, oh, there's so many different lived experiences Mm. and being, being able to actually see yourself in these spaces, which I think is why having people like you and Courtney and all of these other wahine Māori in the mm. comedy sphere is so important because we are freaking hilarious. Like, I just think that if you were to record any group of brown wahine together, you would piss yourself because <laughs> they're just so funny. Yeah. And so being able to have people in these spaces and demonstrate this is a pathway, like it's an actual pathway that you can think about and, mm. and, and potentially step into that it's not just for one specific type of person this is an opportunity that you could have for yourself is so so important it always makes me laugh watching people try so hard right to chase the comedy dream and it's so 
hard for them and mm-hmm. then like going and hanging out with my family who are putting in no effort and are doing like the tightest 10 minutes of stand up that you've ever seen at the dinner table and it's just so effortless I'm like people work for years to do what you've just done you've done your solo show <laughs> like you just did it in a garage like it's the same thing and there are ways to yeah to get paid for being crack up that's it. I love that so much. Have you got any big plans or projects that you're kind of working on at the moment or next that you're super excited about? Yeah, I'm currently writing The Basement Christmas Show with yeah. one of my besties, Bee Gladding. Bee is an iconic Māori DJ um, her DJ name is Mr Meaty Boy. And what a DJ name. I know. She, when she was picking it, she was like, I want something really masculine. So she just picked three of the most masculine <laughs> words she could think of. Um, I've DJed with her once as like a collab. And my DJ name is Strawberry Bam Bam. Or Love Baby that. Bam Bam, if you're lucky. <laughs> um, but Strawberry Bam Bam and Mr. Meaty Boy. Uh, and we're writing the Christmas show. And it is, the title's announced, I think. It's the Jingle Bellathon Telethon. Fun. Yeah, it's going to be really cool and really quirky. And it'll be a new audience for us because it's sort of a more corporate audience that has money for Christmas shows tickets. Yeah, I um, actually produced a Christmas show many moons ago now when I was doing the um, producer residency at the basement. Oh. And it is just so much fun. Yeah, It's a really fun show. It's silly and fun. And I think that's exactly what people have needed um, as we've, I, I really have a bugaboo at the moment when people say post pandemic. I'm like, no, post lockdown, the mm. pandemic, she's still here. Yeah. But like, I think that's what people need is just to find more opportunities to sit and joy and laughter collectively. Yeah. Which is what makes the Christmas show so fun is yeah. that it is just silly, it's ridiculous, but it's a good time and it's just a nice way to be in community with people at that time of the year. Yeah, we've centred brand joy. Like that is when we wrote what we want to do, it's that. And I know that I think a lot of people are expecting big politics from me and everything is inherently political and who we choose to put on stage is inherently political. So it's political in the way that every piece of art is, but there's no um, there's no like big political monologue, and I know people are gonna look for the metaphors and stuff, and I'm sure they'll find them. But we actually just wanted to get a bunch of our friends on stage having the most fun that they could have, and that's what we've tried to create. So yeah, I think it's gonna be really fun. And really yeah, I silly. love that so much, Janae. I hope you have the best season later on in the year. I think there is something to be said about that though, isn't there, around brown joy or Mm. like non-Pākehā joy more specifically and what that looks like and how political that is, even though it shouldn't be, and how radical brown joy is, even though it shouldn't be. And I love that there seems to be more and more of us kind of fostering and harbouring those kind of works and environments for each other to go, sit in your joy. Mm. sit in your joy because you know it can be hard navigating all of these spaces as brown wahine queer brown wahine queer fat brown wahine you Mm. know and so being able to like really harbor joy for each other and to sit in that always feels so yum to me I'm like Yeah. yeah more of that how do we do that more and more for each other 
And inherently, I think anyone that comes in contact with that experience leaves feeling really good because you're like, yeah, joy is great. Mm. We should sit there more often. Have you found that in terms of the mahi that you do both online and in all the facets that you do, how has it been for you kind of holding space and birthing that joy but watching people arrive at that joy? How does that feel for you? I'll acknowledge first that I think you were the first person I ever heard talk about joy as reclamation. And I really sort of took that and ran with it. Yay! Yeah, I think you were the first person I ever heard phrase it like that and something really clicked in that for me because some early on, especially, I started comedy when I was 19. So at the start, sometimes I felt like if it wasn't hard, I wasn't doing enough. And then as I got older, I was like, oh, me having fun on stage actually is enough and it is the thing. Totally. But I think watching people walk into it It's so nice and it's so freeing. I don't really do many lineup shows anymore. Yeah. Because I like the feeling more when people are like, I'm here for an hour of whatever you're putting out um, versus trying to convince people that I'm funny or what I have to say is important. I'd rather just not do that anymore. And people come in and it feels so nice. I I truly do get the best audiences ever because it just feels like it's like a little club that we're all in for an hour where we're just like telling secrets and being silly and having heaps of fun and then we just go about our lives I don't know it's been so nice and at times when the industry has been really tough genuinely the thing that has been consistently good has been the people that consume what I do like they've consistently been the loveliest yeah I love that. I think that's something I've been reflecting on heaps too, is just like this idea of self-care. And I think I've been wanting to move away from that kind of individual understanding of what that looks like into a space of collective care. Because if you have a deeper collective care of each other, whatever that might look like or be embodied in, then you're going to be okay anyway. Like you, the individual, Mm. through collective care and collective joy, will be okay Mm. and I always think man I'm so grateful for all of the black women academics and you know artists and contributors to the school of thinking around um because I would love to take full credit for that as an idea (laughs) joy being an act of resistance I didn't I'm not that clever I'm clever but not that clever (laughs) that totally comes from black women academics and I'm just grateful that the rest of us have been able to access that school of thinking and knowledge and having that shared with each other. Yeah. Because it's a different experience than our own, but there's there's shared intersectional points there yeah. where those experiences kind of overlap with one another and being able to have that for each other, I think, is so important and have people that have a shared experience of you checking in on you and being like, girl are you okay because I know this is tough and like being able to have those and hold those spaces for each other and I feel like you have that with the community you've built for yourself around you Mm. of like-minded wahine that are like I've got your back I know this is hard and it can feel like what is the point sometimes but like having that collectiveness which is cultural anyway right that's just how our people do stuff Mm demonstrating that to other people too like it doesn't need to be this hard no no it's interesting because i 
I see myself as a stepping stone in the yeah. industry. Like I'm, I think often organisations want to be like, we've done it, Janae's in the room, tick, tick. But I'm like, no, I'm just the beginning. Like this yeah. is a stepping stone. And so I have been thinking lots lately about my place and stand-up comedy and the stories I have to tell, but also trying to, yeah, work out the ways to help people tell their stories who often don't get to. Yeah. It's hard to... It can be hard to realise who's not in the room because they're not in the room. You know what? It's so interesting to hear you say that because that's been something I've been deeply considering too. Same thing. I listen to a lot of podcasts yeah. and I was listening to a podcast recently where, and I cannot remember his name, but another black academic who I've been listening to, and he was speaking to this idea of often as marginalised people, we firmly have a good understanding of what it means to have someone's foot on our neck, but we're not good at recognising when our foot is on someone else's neck. Ooh. So being a little bit more conscious of like, how am I, like the privileges that I have and we have, mm. how are we utilising those to make sure it's a little bit better for the next person behind us? Mm. And having to be okay too, I think, with like, Often the fruits of our labour, we're not going to see in our career, no, but no. at least the, the, the generations behind us might have it a little bit easier because we've been opening the door and making sure the door is kept open, mm. I think has been something I've been really considering a lot. And I really deeply admire you and the way in which you're, you're conscious of that and how do I... How do I bring up the people behind me? How do I make it a little bit better? And how do I be a stepping stone opposed to like, okay, cool, and now I'm taking the ladder with me? Yeah. I honestly think for me a lot of it will be knowing when it's time to get out of the way. Yeah. Because I think New Zealand's really obsessed with having the same people and all the things all the time. Yeah. And I hope that when that happens, I'm aware enough in my family and friends are honest enough to be like you've actually done it and you've done it so now get out the way yeah like it's you've done what you need to do in those spaces and now it's time for you to move so someone else can do that because you're taking up the space that could be someone else like I want someone to take my seat at the table essentially yeah, totally. I feel, oh, I feel that, girly. I really, really feel that. But then also I'm like, but what will I do? I have such a specific skill set and no tangible skills. I can't build anything. I can't, I've got no other skills, but we'll pivot and we'll find the way. But yeah, I think there will be a time when I'm like, it's time to like move more behind the scenes. Yeah, totally. I've got a couple more questions for you before we wrap up our beautiful corridor. Slay. So on that, what do you think, this is a big question and just see how you feel about it, but what do you, what do we need to, to continue fostering safe environments for wahine Māori to flourish in our creative ecosystem? Ooh. That's a biggie and you can take that wherever you'd like to take it. I mean, I think you've actually answered that throughout our whole corridor today, but is there anything that really is in the forefront of your mind around how we can do that. I reckon more things for Māori by Māori, like mm -hmm. as much as, you know, hiring like one diversity consultant or whatever, like the job they do is really valuable. But I, th I think letting, 
letting Māori come up with their own ways to look after each other, but equally, like, racism is not the problem of Māori. I don't want to solve that. Yeah. Like, racism in the green room isn't my fault, my problem, or my doing. Yeah. So that's a you problem, and you need to talk to your people. Like, you need to get uncle in the green room, because he's, like, he's not my uncle. So, like, you take care of yours, and I'll like try and do what I can for yeah. mine yeah. type vibe. Yeah, I mean, this perpetually comes up in all of the conversations I've been having with our amazing creatives in this forum mm. around people just needing to lean into uncomfortability. Yeah. I think we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and that's a journey in and of itself, not... That doesn't need to just happen, obviously, in the spaces we're all in. It needs to happen more broadly across New Zealand. Yeah. But in relation to the work and the spaces we're in, I'm like, yeah, you know why you feel uncomfortable? Because it is uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't want to have to be the one to address you and be like, oi, Simon, not cool. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want to have to do that. So maybe, Simon, you could do that for the other Simon and Colin in the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> This is also just a cursed suggestion that I actually think a lot of people will disagree with, but I've talked to people who do agree, so I'm going to say it. I've been to so many cursed arts mihi whakatau. So many of them are so cursed. Honestly, for me, if you don't know what you're doing and you don't care about it, but you've just like quickly Googled it, it feels worse to me an hour before I have to be funny. I don't feel fuckatoe. I feel like fuckatidi. Like I don't feel ready. Yeah. <laughs> I feel angry. And like the vibe of like everyone's like picking at the food beforehand is like, sorry, I missed lunch. Like it's just so cursed. I had one in this country at a big arts place that I'll tell you about once we start recording, where after it finished, one of the people on their side said, Oh, sorry to break tikanga, but like that's not a good way to start a sentence that's bad and so I think it's about right meaningful engagement and caring about what you're doing instead of tokenistic actions that make you feel good as a company I totally agree I could not agree more I think it's that thing around understand that all of these kupu have a spirit there's a principle there's a value system there yeah and that's wonderful that you've put manakitanga on your wall, <laughs> sweetie. But if you don't actually understand the essence of what that really means, mm. then just don't do it. The English language is very expansive. Heaps of words. There's so many words, <laughs> so many words, so mm. many words. I get confused sometimes, so many words. Just choose an English word. <laughs> I have been here so many times. I This, this resonates so hard yeah. because I've been in so many rooms where it's – this exact same conversation if you don't understand the value if you don't understand the principle of something don't use it no it's actually that simple no stop this performative whatever this perform this performance art you're doing right now sweetie is i love it <laughs> well done good for you but just stop using these words because you don't actually know what they mean no and i'm like honestly if you're a company you're trying to like there's no shame in a shared lunch no just call it that yeah it's a shared lunch where you're going to do some odd speeches like if that's what you're doing 
pop off. I would feel better if you're like, okay, we do this little thing now where we will eat some food sort of whenever you feel like it. Um, and the CEO who never addresses us is going to um, try and say something uplifting and none of us are going to feel uplifted because we all know that they make 30 times uh, what we could ever dream of make. Like just acknowledge it for what it is. Also, don't say koha of $10 for a show. That's not a koha. That's a ticket price. They're not interchangeable. No, they're not interchangeable. <laughs> and that's on read a book. If you say koha, you're getting a poem from me. That's yes, what you're yeah. getting. You're yeah, getting enough. what I want to give you. That's yeah. how that works. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, we, we have come so far, but we have got so far to go. Yeah. And I just think, if anything, I feel like the creative spaces which we occupy, those are the best spaces to be able to demonstrate to everyone what that can actually look like. Yeah. And that it's okay. And also, it's okay to get mistakes. Just, like, figure it out. Sit in your uncomfortability, learn, ask questions, Google read a book, all of those things, Yeah, <laughs> all of the things, <laughs> and it will be okay. Yeah. 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 I don't mind someone earnestly trying and it being a bit strange. I don't mind that. But when I feel like you've just received an email from someone telling you to do this and now you're doing it, that's when I'm like, just do a shared lunch, babe. I love a shared lunch. Fun. Yeah, I totally <laughs> agree. Oh, God, that resonates so hard. <laughs> I love that. Thank you, Janae. I have one last question for you, which I ask all of my guests. Mm -hmm. And I want to ask you, because I'm curious, what is your big hope? Because I always try and leave us mm -hmm. in a state of like future thinking, future focused. What does that look like? What is your hope for Wahine Māori in the comedy community? What does that look like for you? Hmm. It looks like the current comedy community changing. For me, <laughs> I sort of want to get together and be like, we don't have to take part in the systems that don't work for us. We can eclipse them. Like, we have the skills mm -hmm. for that. We can do that. I have no interest in I think at the moment the water tank is poison and we just keep changing the tap yeah no interest in it we can start doing whatever we want to do and just eclipse it and I think I think my hope is that is that that is a fun and joyful experience yeah and being surrounded by each other yeah feels good and exciting I don't know I guess yeah I guess that's my hope I love that I do love that and yeah Eclipse she said moon sun universe we love it yeah yeah thank you again I just want to acknowledge this you and this conversation I really enjoyed getting to speak to you today and I'm really excited to see what doors you continue to knock down and the people that you bring with you. So thank you, Janae, for, for this corridor today. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for having me. I mean, you said the quote that started it all. And you didn't invent the quote, but you did bring it to my ears. And I may not have heard it otherwise. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Creative Capital, brought to you by Te Taumata Toya Ibe. You can learn more about our mahi at 
tomatatoyaiwi.org.nz. Please also get in touch with any feedback or ideas for the series too. Namahinoe.